Welcome to the Walla Way, guys. This is Imran Nanlawala. Thank you for listening. You know, last time we looked at the Cavaliers and why I think they are a dysfunctional team. And we examined we examined Peter Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Great book. And we saw that they had uh, issues of trust, issues of commitment, issues of accountability, issues of uh, not putting the team goals over individual goals. And I'm really excited. I want to look at a sports organization that I admire, that I love. It's my favorite team of all time. It's my favorite team in all sports, the San Antonio Spurs. Many reasons they should be considered one of the best teams ever, if not the best team ever. It could be the consecutive uh, over 20 years of making the playoffs, uh, over 20 years of having more than 50 wins a season except the lockout season. It could be the five championships, the six NBA final appearances, low turnover in coaches and players, uh, the overall respect that they have in the league, they you know they they compete every year, almost every year. They're considered a legitimate competitor. There's not usually a lot of drama involved with the team, and I really like them. I, I think they do it the right way. I think they're about the team first. They're about playing basketball the right way. They don't care about all the drama. There's many reasons to like the Spurs. There's there's many reasons to consider them the model franchise, the best team to ever do it. But we're gonna examine the Spurs using the five dysfunctions of a team. Uh, and I really believe that they contrast the Cavaliers uh, at every level. So in summary, we, we said last time, you know, lack of trust leads to a lack of conflict, which leads to a lack of commitment, a uh, lack of accountability. And then finally, individual goals over team goals or inattention to results. And the Spurs, I think that they're the best team because when you look at the five dysfunctions of a team framework, you see that they are a truly cohesive team because one, they trust each other. Two, they engage in, in discussion and conflict. They commit to overall decisions and actions. So when the team or when Popovich has a philosophy and he puts it into play, you see that everybody buys in. There's no finger pointing. There's no blaming. They hold each other accountable. I've seen it time and time again. When they lose, they don't blame the refs. They don't blame the other team. They put it on themselves. And we'll look at some of those examples. And they always focus on the collective result. And that is why they're able to take people who were drafted in the late first round or in the second round like Manu Ginobili and win championships. They take guys like Danny Green, DeJounte Murray. All right. When they won their last championship, they had Patty Mills. You had Baines from Australia. You had an older Boris Diaw. You had Marco Bellinelli. You had all these guys that were not really looked uh, highly upon in the league. They were good players, good role players, but they were not highly coveted. And what did they do to that athletic, hungry, supposedly strong, defensive Miami Heat team? They walked through them. They took their best punch and they walked through it and they dismounted them in five games. Bam. So let's go straight into it, guys. The first dysfunction was a lack of trust. Do the Spurs trust each other? I say they do. And I say it starts with the big man on top, Coach Popovich, all right? And one of the things that the book points out is that your leader has to show genuine signs of being vulnerable. Um, he has to take a, a ownership of his mistakes. And Pop has done this. Pop has really modeled the way, which is another leadership principle. So let's examine a few different uh, ways Pop has shown his vulnerability and what that has done to set the tone for the rest of the team. Well, let me just say this generally first. When you care about your teammates, when you care about the people in your organization, when it's more than just basketball to you, that's going to resonate 
and spread to the rest of the organization. And the and the players, they see this. They see that Pop is vested in them. He doesn't just care about what they do on court. He cares about their lives outside of basketball. And he's made many references to this, that this is just basketball. When they lose a game or they lose in the playoffs, he'll always say, this is just basketball. It's not the end of the world. And believe me, that is going to resonate with your players. They're going to embody these principles, a lot of these guys are young guys, they're young men, right? And they're looking for strong leaders, they're looking for people with strong personalities who can kind of show them the ropes, kind of show them the way. And I think Pop has done a great way, or he's, he's done a great thing in that, uh, by showing the players that it's more about than just the game, right? How many teams are in the NBA? Every team can't be a winner, right? Only one team is going to win the championship. That doesn't mean the other 20-whatever teams are losers, so one of the things that really stuck out to me about Popovich is, um, so there was this player a few years ago on the on, on the Spurs from Serbia, I believe, Bobin Marjanovic, uh, seven foot three center from Serbia. He was a bit of a cult hero for the Spurs. Um, he came in sometimes at garbage time, sometimes he got valuable minutes, uh, and sometimes he give people the business. Right when you play in the Spurs system, it's very easy for Pop to find players who are not generally that coveted or that wanted and to make them desirable. Long story short, you know, he 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 was a great rotation player for the Spurs and when the offseason came, they knew Popovich knew that someone was going to throw him money. Now, what what about this situation impressed me? What about this situation uh makes me believe that the players and the organization trust him? If Pop was selfish, he could have kept him around, but what happened? All right. So now the Pistons offer $21 million to this kid, right? And Pop knew he was going to be gone because this happens every year. You can't pay everybody. So the Pistons offer him $20 million, $21 million. And I think the Spurs were able to offer him like $3 million a year or something. And Pop essentially told him, get your blank out of here. You've got to do this. Uh, and then he, w- he went out to say, as reported by Business Insider, that Boban actually wanted to stay on the Spurs. He felt bad about leaving. My question is, what makes a player who's off- being offered a lot more money say, you know what, I don't want the money. I want to stay here. What kind of culture has been created in that organization where players want to stay for a lot less and maybe even a reduced and in- an insignificant role? And Pop had the foresight to say, you know what, get out of here, man. Go get that money. Go get that money, young buck. And I say he had the foresight because of this. Imagine if Boban stayed. He would have gotten less money, and we don't know what his minute guarantee would have been, but he could have been disenfranchised later on into the season. He could have became a malcontent, and it would have caused problems for the team. Pop said, you know what, man? Go take care of yourself. You've earned this. Go get that money. So for me, to be honest, that is also showing a sign of vulnerability because you're showing that you care about your players. You're showing empathy. And in this day and age, people don't like showing empathy. Pop could have easily persuaded him because he wanted to stay. He could have, Boban wanted to stay. Pop could have persuaded him to stay uh, and got a huge discount, but he didn't do that. And in my book, that is a sign of a true leader and of a good man. Uh, that, that would make me trust him. Now let's listen to what Popovich had to say about the whole LaMarcus Aldridge situation. Uh, I'm a big Spurs fan, so LaMarcus is probably our only big free agent signing that we've ever had. I don't remember ever signing anybody as big as him. Uh, for whatever reason, big-time free agents don't like coming to us. Shame on them, and it's at their detriment more than anything. So LaMarcus comes over, and Pop goes straight into teaching mode, and the first two years of the LaMarcus Aldridge uh, experiment, 
while statistically he declined, but he still did pretty good, they didn't go so well. Um, and you could see that there was some tension building up on the team. So during the offseason, LaMarcus, he does the manly thing. He goes up to Popovich, non-aggressive, uh, non-confrontational. And he says, I want to be traded. Now, what does Popovich do? Let's take a listen. You know, he wasn't a happy camper at the end of the year. He wasn't a problem, right? He was great. He's been a great teammate and played well. Uh, but he was, you know, not feeling confident uh, in his game and a little confused on, you know, maybe what I wanted and that sort of thing. And uh, I said before in this season, I, I put that on me. I spent the summer, you know, breaking bread with him. And my big mistake, I think, was I tried to coach him uh, at the offensive end too much. I was like, you know, be this hellacious coach and give him this move and that move and have him do this and do that. And what I did was confuse the young man. Uh, and I didn't realize that when Timmy came, uh, people would say, what are you going to do with Timmy? I, I said, nothing. I'm going to watch. And I watched him for four or five months. And obviously, he didn't need a whole lot of coaching. Uh, but, you know, there are things you can talk to a player about and clean up, paint up, fix up, you know, this sort of thing. I did that with Timmy. With Lamarcus, I just sort of ignored it uh, in the very beginning and didn't realize how much that means that somebody's been doing something one way for nine years. And so when I grabbed him, you know, all of a sudden we were going to work on Sigma moves and off the block and we're going to put him on the elbow and we're going to do this and that. And uh, that was uh, unwise on my part. And I really didn't understand that I was confusing him for, you know, most of the time. Uh, and he, he bore through that. You know, he was, he was, like I said, a great teammate. He worked hard. He was really good for us at the defensive end and continues to be that way. So um, we, we ironed that out and, you know, I let him play his game at the offensive end. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I think to say that uh, isn't just unwise. I think it's, you know, it takes a lot of hubris uh, and a lot of ego to think that your way is the only way or there's not something that you can change based on what you see on the court. Uh, and I, I still remember the first meal we had after that when he wanted to get traded. And so I said, let's go to lunch. He came there, he said, how come you haven't cursed me out yet? <laughs> he said, well, how come you haven't you know, told me that you, know, you don't want to see me or you want to do this or that? I said, you know, well, selfish reason is you're a hell of a player. I'd like to keep you here. And number two, uh, I want to see what I can do to understand why you're feeling what you feel. Because intellectually, I really wanted to know. Because uh, that hasn't happened very often uh, in our program. And I really wanted to know what the deal was. And he was honest and transparent about it so I thought that I owed him the same thing and it's you know it's for the good of the whole group so and this is the best example of of what the book says when a leader has to show being vulnerable because there it's going to resonate with the rest of the team pop ate this one guys pop ate this one Lamarcus re, uh, requested to be traded uh pop wanted to understand it he, he you know it's never happened to him before a player has not come up to him and say I, I trade me trade me right and pop said you know what man my fault this guy was in the league for nine years he was doing his thing and that's why we wanted him here in the first place and i tried to change him from day one which i didn't do with tim duncan with tim duncan pop was a sponge he just observed he saw how tim duncan played and he they played off of tim uh they didn't do that with lamarcus and just real quick since they've allowed lamarcus to go back to playing the way he's played 
He's had a resurgence. He's a uh, all-star again this year, which he hasn't been in a couple of years. And his points per game have gone up about, uh, I think, four and a half points a game, right? He was averaging about 17, 17 to 18 last year. And now he's up to about 22 points something. So again, it, it takes humility, guys. It takes humility. It takes vulnerability. And Pop did that. Pop said, you know what? Let me Let me speak with him. Let me understand him. Let me tell him that, you know what, man? This is my bad. And what did he say? Lamarcus was surprised. He said, don't you want to curse me out right now? He said, no, I don't. I want to understand you. I want to understand why you feel this way. And they, it mutually benefited both of them, right? Lamarcus is happy, right? He's had a resurgent season. He's doing his thing on the block. He's making his buckets. Pop is happy because Pop has an all-star level player that he paid for. And sometimes you just got to go back to the simple things. You don't got to overthink things. You got to trust each other. But there's ways to have others trust you. And that sometimes starts with dialoguing. That starts with conversations. And that starts with being vulnerable. This is the last example I'm going to give for dysfunction one, which is absence of trust. And I say the Spurs trust each other. I think this is another reason that people around the league and the people in the organization trust Pop. He puts things in perspective. Let's take a listen. There's a clip from FoxSports.com and the title of it, it says, Greg Popovich reveals how meaningless the Spurs Game 6 loss really was. The quote, uh, the title says it all. Now let's listen in. That's the way life goes, you know. NASA discovered all those habitable planets the other day. Do you guys know about that? Yeah. Like no. what they say, there were how many of them? 1,200, I think. 1,200 habitable planets. Well, 1,200 new, I don't And then know. last night, somebody lost a basketball game. <laughs> Come on. Get, Get over yourself. Pop, if someone had never seen I don't it. want to answer your question. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. You'll like this one. You're a radio talk show guy that just stirs it up. <laughs> this is what I like about this person the most. I'm a big basketball fan, guys. But there are things beyond basketball. You see so much in our society People who literally fight, they get into physical altercations based on sports, which I think is completely ridiculous, right? Um, and here, Pop, a coach of an elite NBA team, is telling you, NASA just discovered thousands of planets that we could possibly one day live on. And we're talking about basketball? Get over it. Get over yourself. And I think this sums up this man to a T. There are things beyond basketball that matter and that are important. And I think this, again, when you show this to your to your team, when you show this to the players in the organization, this is going to trickle down. And you'll see later on when we talk about the other dysfunctions, I think this is why the Spurs are also committing to the overall mission and vision of the team, but they also hold each other and themselves accountable. I remember a story when uh, the Spurs traded for Kawhi Leonard. I think they got him from the Indiana Pacers. And they had to trade a fan favorite in George Hill. And not only a fan favorite, someone that Pop really liked. And you got to remember, if you're a basketball or a Spurs fan, there were a couple years there, guys, the Spurs were not looking so good. Timmy was slowing down. Manu was continuously injured. And the only guy that you really had doing his thing normally was Tony Parker. You know, and they had Gary Neal that year. They traded for, or they drafted George Hill. And this guy, he had the stuff, man. He He had this spark. He was tough defensively. Offensively, he needed to be refined. But this was a Greg Popovich player. You go out there, you give me maximum effort, and I will trust you. And in order for them to get Kawhi, who they needed, they needed to get bigger. They needed an athletic wing. He had to trade uh, his beloved George Hill. 
And, and, and what did Pop say about this situation? And I quote, the toughest decision in whatever 20, whatever years I've been coaching here as a head coach, it's not even close. We were scared to death sitting in the room. I think it was the 15th pick. I remember, and when we got to 11, 12, 13, Danny Ferry, our CEO, and I were looking at each other and we were and saying, are we really going to do this? Hill was one of my favorite players. He was important to us, but we needed to get bigger. So in the end, we said, we're going to roll the bones and going to and we're going to do it. But I can't tell you that at that point, we knew that Kawhi was going to be what he is today. That would be an exaggeration. This shows vulnerability in a lot of different ways, guys. He did not want to get rid of someone he loved. It's, it's more than just a game to these guys, right? It's a family. And he's saying, he's admitting that they didn't even know what Kawhi was. He could have taken the credit and said, look, man, I peeped this a long time ago. I knew Kawhi was going to be good. These are just so many examples of being vulnerable, leading by example, uh, that I think this is one of the reasons that the Spurs are so successful is because they have a presence of trust. They have a culture and organization of trust, unlike the Cavaliers and many other franchises. Now let's go straight to dysfunction two, which is a uh, fear of conflict. But with the Spurs, I don't see that. I see that they're able to engage in ideological conversations. They're able to discuss things. They're able to disagree, disagree with each other on and off the court. And the reason they're successful as it, again, the leader sets the tone. When the leader is able to swallow his ego and listen to his players and his coaching staff, uh, your superstars like Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker and Kawhi Leonard, they're, they're going to be willing to take the abuses that the coach gives them sometimes. And that's going to trickle down to the rest of the players. And if Tim Duncan, uh, multiple-time MVP, the greatest power forward, not only the greatest power forward, but in my estimation, one of the best to ever do it, is willing to take uh, overt criticism from the coach. What, what do the 15th and 16th person on the roster, what choice do they have? And one of the most important uh, compromises that Popovich had to make years ago, I remember when, when Manu Ginobili first joined the NBA, when he first joined the Spurs, uh, I remember that Pop would go crazy on the sideline sometimes because Manu would try all these different type of passes. He'd try these weird, strange European crossovers and he would turn over the ball a lot. Um, and Pop would go berserk. Uh, and he, here's what Pop had to say about this. In the beginning, he would do some things that I thought were unnecessary until the point came when he came to me and said, I am Manu. This is what I do. I said, okay, you go ahead and try to save one or two of those passes per game, and I'm going to shut up one or two times when they happen during the game. We came to this compromise, and it's been lovey-dovey ever since. Okay, so you have to have conflict sometimes. You know, Amanu Ginobili, your European stud, your Argentinian stud. He came up to you and said, look, man, this is the way I play. This is who I am. Let me be me. And Pop had the foresight and the wisdom to say, to say you know what, man? Let me, not, let me not try to change him. And what has it yielded? You've had one of the most entertaining players of all time. One of the best players or most competitive players of our generation in Manu Ginobili. A gold uh, medal winner. In 2004, with the Argentinian team, he beat America. He beat some of the greats, a four-time NBA champion. All right, And this is exactly what happened with LaMarcus. LaMarcus pulled Pop aside and said, Look, man, I'm not happy. you got to trade me. He did something that was hard and uncomfortable. But what did it lead to? It led to resolution. Sometimes when you bury things and you hide things, they don't come out to the surface. you got to bring things out to the surface and tackle them 
so it can lead to better results and success later. And that's what it did with the Spurs. That's what it did with Manu. That's what it did with Lamarcus. Even look at what happened with Manu. Pop was uh, Pop was a bit tentative to talk to talk to Manu many years ago about coming off the bench. He did it. Manu agreed with the logic. It's been successful for them this year. All right, Tony Parker. He moved Tony to the bench, and Tony said it's best for the team. Sometimes just because you think things are uncomfortable doesn't mean that they won't lead to good. All right, and one, one, one quick story. I remember sometime this season, something happened on the court. I think there was a bit of a scuffle. Pop was starting to walk towards the court, and uh, DeJounte Murray, I think he's in his second year now. Yeah, he's in his second year. He basically told Pop to back off. He said, I got this. I got this under control. And Popovich, after the game, said, I thought that was really cool. I like the way he handled the situation. So sometimes you have to be upfront. You have to be able to discuss things and talk about things without getting offended. The Spurs have done that. And that's why the Spurs went from the supposedly boring team of the 90s, the late 90s and early 2000s, which was um, pass it into Tim Duncan, pass it up to David Robinson. You know, let's use up the shot clock, half court team to uh, European style motion offense, high pick and roll, many pick and rolls. Uh, many cuts to the basket, many screens, and they've become an entertaining team because sometimes you have to be introspective. You have to look at your situation and figure out that it's not working. And that's what Popovich and the rest of the team has always done when it comes to the star players or when it comes to the coaching staff or it comes to R.C. Buford or the owner, Peter Holt. They've always been able to be introspective and figured out how to move forward. Why do you think they've won championships in three different decades with the same group of players? In the late 90s, you had Timmy there with David Robinson in the early to mid 2000s you had Timmy with David Robinson for 2003 but then you won in 2005 2007 and you went back to the finals in 2013 and 2014 where you won if you're able to win long term if you're able to win in different decades in different styles of play know that you're doing something right you're able to assess your situation and you'll be able to modify. And this is why they've been able to plug in players and plug out players so successfully because they understand systems thinking. They understand the way a team operates, functions, and works great together. All right, what what is some... All right, this function number three, guys, a lack of commitment. Do the Spurs commit? Absolutely, they commit. All right, we've looked at some of these examples. The team goals are always placed over individual goals. If Manu Ginobili wanted to be a starter, if Manu wanted to go for 20 to 25 a game, he could have done it, just like Tony, just like Tim. But they've always sacrificed their individual accolades and stats for the betterment of the team. But who created that culture? It started with Pop. The culture is all about winning. That is the most important thing. If you don't do it the right way with the Spurs, guess what? You're going to be traded or you're going to be released. They don't care how many points per game you can give them. They don't care about your stats. They don't care if you can even lead them to some wins. If you go against the team's mission and you're you're not willing to commit to it, you will be cut loose. And again, what are the examples of that? Manu coming off the bench. Parker coming off the bench. The offense moving away from Timmy. Timmy could have demanded the ball for many years. He's the most fundamentally sound big man to ever play, in in my estimation. He could have scored just based off of his intelligence, but he didn't care about becoming the number one scorer in the league. He didn't care about being the number one rebounder or shot blocker. He cared about winning. Tim Duncan's biggest goal was winning. All right. And let's look at some examples of uh, the Spurs making a tough decision because it goes back to the betterment of the team. If you don't commit to the team's goal, 
you're not going to be on the team. And let's listen in to what Steven Jackson had to say about this. So we got Steven Jackson on first take with Skip and Stephen A. Smith. Uh, this is, I think, during the 2013 finals. And this is uh, right before the playoffs is when Steven Jackson got cut in 2012 when they played against Oklahoma City and they were up 2-0 to zero and then they lost the next four. Stephen Steven, uh, Jackson was one of their best players. Uh, as he said in his own words, he makes love to pressure. He doesn't shy away from the big shot. And against that OKC team, he was hitting some daggers. So this was a, a tough cut for them. I remember Tim Duncan coming out saying he didn't understand it. I think Tony or somebody else was a bit confused by it. Um, and now he, here's Steven, Steven Jackson explaining kind of what happened. Steve, I want to ask you this because not only did you help this team the title in 2003, not only did Tim Duncan call you a great teammate, yeah. at the same time, the way you performed last year in the playoffs, particularly against Oklahoma City, and what y'all were on course to do this year, it shocked a lot of people when this team let you go. In your words, what on earth happened? Why are you not a member of the San Antonio Spurs right now? Well, at the end of the day, I look at it as a business. Um, the head coach of the organization felt that I wasn't playing as well as I'm capable of playing, and I wasn't helping the team. And that's the end of it. I mean, people like to look in and out of it, and at the end of the day, it's a business. And Pop has a decision to play whatever player he decides to play. Uh, I've been cut many a times, and I bounce back, and it's just another situation for me. Uh, there's no bad blood against the Spurs. I actually want them to win it because a lot of the guys on the team are my brothers. So it's no bad blood. I love Pop, and I'm going to move on with my career. I mean, look at what one of the most fiery players, he was involved in the, the malice in the palace in Detroit in 2004, is saying after he got cut, it's a business, it's just business, there's no bad blood. A lot of my brothers still play for that team. I love Coach Pop. He could have used this opportunity to tarnish the organization, but he's not. He said, I, basically the coach didn't think I was performing, I wasn't living up to my expectations, so I was cut. And, you know, initially when he did get cut, there was some drama surrounding it. And like I said, he's a fiery player. Let me read you something he said about his release. This is Steven Jackson now. He said, it was best for me so I wouldn't go crazy and I wouldn't want me on the team either. Look, man, when you, when you just got cut and you're saying, look, it's probably, was, it's probably the best move for the team. I wouldn't want me on that team either. You realize where you were, man. You realize how great that team is. You realize that... The culture is all about the team first. It's not about individuals. It's not about the individual ego or individual stats. It's a team culture. So for a recently cut player to say that, it goes a long way. This team is all about committing to the mission, vision, and values of their organization. You have to do it a certain way. And their way has yielded results. So no one can really criticize it. Again, when it comes to the whole commitment thing, Let's look at what Steven Jackson is saying on a very recent interview. It goes back to 2017, but this is after he's retired. And let's, he, he brings up a very important point, guys. It sounds so simple. It really does. You're prepared. Do your job. Figure right. it out. Why, why don't other organizations do it? I mean, you played for so many other organizations. Why, why don't others do what you're well, describing? Perfect example. This is why Pop would rather a Kawhi Leonard than a James Harden because he know this guy is going to play hard on both ends of the court. He's not worrying about scoring points. He's not worrying about being fat, being a, a, a fashion guy. Pop wants guys that love the game of basketball and that's going to play the right way. 
And you see all these teams that skipped out on Kawhi. You see all the teams that didn't sign me. He knows those certain guys that he can bring in that's going to be glue guys and that's going to play the game and play the game the right way. And he'll skip on a James Harden 10 times for a Kawhi. Pop wants guys who love the game of basketball. He doesn't want guys who care about things that are not important to the game. And this is why a guy like Pop would prefer Kawhi over James Harden. James Harden is more dangerous offensively than, than Kawhi, but Kawhi commits to both sides of the floor. Kawhi plays the game the right way, according to Pop. And this is why Steven Jackson thinks that Pop goes after players like this. It's about the mission and the vision first, guys. It's not just about raw talent. You need to find real and true potential. He's just something he knows about the game. Him and R.C. Buford. So it's the people he brings in and coaches them in a certain way as opposed to what, so why can't other organizations adopt a similar style? I mean, it's yeah, other like that's the, a good question. I mean, the, the Hawks took uh, Budenholzer right. from from the, the Spurs. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it, can, from what you tell, are, are, is he trying to build a, a similar style They're in trying Atlanta? To. They're trying to in Atlanta, but pop level of respect is so high. Now, Buzz won a championship. He, you know, he he he's an understudy of Pop. No question. He knows everything Pop, the Pop teaches. It, but at the same time, he's not Pop. <laughs> and Pop is the type of guy that'll get in your face, curse you out, all that. Bud is not that guy, you know. And you, so you can't. That stuff you can't teach. You have to be born with that. Like I say, being a leader, you have to be born with. It. You can't be. You can't get taught how to be a leader. You have to be born with. It. And Pop has that. And he has a lot of things that you can't teach and you can't explain. You know, even like I said, it's it's amazing that. I respect an older white guy, and he knows me more than anybody, and we're from two different parts of the earth. But I respect him so much, and if I didn't play for Pop, I don't think I would have had a 14-year career. I don't think I would have lasted that long because I didn't understand, you know, what was important and what the game was about. I think that's the most beautiful quote, guys. He said, if not for Pop, I wouldn't have had a 14-year career. I didn't know what was important. I didn't understand the game. But because of Pop, because of what he taught me, I was able to elongate my career but what, what what's more important that he said he said it's funny how i can relate to him he's an older white guy and basically stephen jackson saying i'm an african-american male they come from two completely different backgrounds but what is it about pop that allows people to connect with him and it goes to it goes back to all the previous dysfunctions pop is a person that you trust because of, of he walks the walk guys he doesn't just talk about things he doesn't just preach things he walks the walk he is invested in you he's invested in your growth beyond the basketball court he allows you to approach him with ideas and discuss things with him and he shows you that there is a team and uh, team mission and vision and that the shared values are more important than the individual values and at the end of the day at one point whether you're retired or you're still playing, you come to that conclusion that these are the people who really care about you. These are the people who want to see you win. The next dysfunction is the dysfunction of accountability. And one of the reasons that I love the Spurs the most is because they hold each other accountable, not only during the game, not only on defensive and offensive plays, but once they're eliminated, I've seen it time and time again. They do not blame others. They blame themselves. Said, we didn't get it done. We didn't execute. Every time they get eliminated, what I like about the Spurs and why I consider them the model franchise is they make sure they shake up with the opposing players. They never storm off the court. I remember one of our biggest rivals, the Phoenix Suns. When Phoenix finally beat San Antonio, and I believe this was in 2009, Tony Parker Manu Ginobili, Tim Duncan, they all went to Steve Nash to congratulate him. When 
Chris Paul and the Clippers finally eliminated the Spurs in, I believe, 2015. You saw how emotional Chris Paul was, and all those guys went over to him to congratulate him. This is accountability. This is a commitment to your team culture. This is a commitment to what you really believe in. Now, let's look at um, after a real tough loss. The Spurs were about to win the finals in 2013. We all remember it, right? They were up. The, uh, the, the, the Miami Heat staged a comeback in the last 40 seconds or so. And Ray Allen gets an offensive rebound. He steps behind the three-point line in the corner. Bam, knocks down the shot. And they go to overtime and the Spurs lose. Here's Manu Ginobili talking about that game uh, after it happened. Uh, we were a few seconds away from winning the championship. And we let it go. A uh, couple reba rebounds that we didn't catch. A tough three by, uh, three by Ray. I missed a couple missed free throws. Um, it's, it's a very tough, very tough moment. I had a very good game last game, and uh, today I just couldn't maintain it. I, I was very insecure. I well, had probably a career high in turnovers and a really bad moment. Um, it really helps to make me feel terrible. Uh, even with all that, we were so close of, of winning it. So, you know, it's one of the many things I'm going to be thinking tonight. He said we were a few seconds away from winning the championship. And what? We, W-E, let it go. Not they took it from us. Not the refs made the wrong calls. Not that the shot clock ran out. We let it go. And towards the end of that clip, he talks about his turnovers and how it made him feel terrible. Again, individual and team accountability. And this is what I like about the Spurs. When it goes to the statements of these players and it goes to the statements of Pop that we listened to earlier when he's talking about it being... it life is There's more to life than basketball, right? But when it, when it even comes to talking about things in basketball terms, they put the onus on themselves. They never really look for a scapegoat. And I think that is a great sign for any organization. It helps you grow. You look in the mirror and you say, you know what? Nobody can stop me except me. There's not a problem. I'm the problem. And I got to stop this. I got to grow. I got to get better. I got to execute. And this is why they are the best sports franchise in all sports. And we know, guys, that the fifth dysfunction is uh, inattention to results. Sometimes we interpret it as individual goals over team goals. And we've seen that with Steven Jackson. Uh, there were a few players in the past, Gary Neal, Dewan Blair. They've gotten rid of players who don't mesh. If you're not going to be about the team first, you will be shipped out. But again, if you commit to the culture, Pop will find a use for you. Danny Green, a journeyman. Well, he, he's never played for many teams, but he was on his way out as a, a few years in the league, right? The Spurs got him from the Cavs. They reinvented him, and he's one of the most dangerous players right now when it comes to three-point shooting and transition defense. Matt Bonner, a guy who found a very good role on the Spurs. Manu Ginobili, obviously, we, we, we know what he's been able to do, but a late second-round draft pick. We saw what they did with Boris. We saw what they've done with all these different guys that they're able to plug into the system. If you buy in and you commit to the team goals, Pop will make use of you. He'll help you get money later on. Uh, so I assume we all know that stuff. There's no magic. I don't have any secret plays. Uh, and if I had one, then 400 people would have the same play. So I don't, I don't think that makes sense. 
But it's about organization. It's about discipline. It's about building the blocks, about relationships with your players. Uh, how do you get something out of somebody who's selfish or doesn't really compete the way you would like or so on and so forth. Uh, all those things, I think, have more to do uh, with winning and losing than being able to draw a certain kind of play. I think this clip right here summarizes the Spurs way. Here Popovich is talking to a, a group of people, uh, and this is for FIBA, you know, the international body that regulates basketball or the international basketball, and we know that Pop has taken the reins of USA Basketball, and he's basically going through the Spurs way, the Spurs philosophy system, and the way they look at basics in San Antonio. And what, what's he saying? Let's take a look at it. Let's listen to it. Let's examine it. Let's analyze it. He's saying, I don't have a magic bullet. There's no magic play. There's no magic system. If there was, and if I had that play, hundreds of other people would have known about it already and utilized it. What's more important is the individual relationships that you have in the organization, the relationships with the team, the respect, the building blocks, the culture. You, If you read any leadership book, this is what it's all about. And this is why the Spurs are the best team to do it. Not only the best team, the best organization. Why do you think so many of the Spurs' former personnel wind up being head or assistant coaches in the league, right? Look at the coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Look at the coach of the Atlanta Hawks. You have Doc Rivers, who was part of the Spurs system. You got Sam Presti, the GM of the Oklahoma City Thunder, who was part of the Spurs system. There's many guys that are missing, Monty Williams, uh, Danny Ferry. These guys really spread their wings and they, and they put their seeds all over the league when it comes to former players becoming coaches, when it comes to former assistants or personnel becoming coaches or becoming GMs. The Spurs way has really trickled and spread its, uh, its roots through the ent entire NBA. There's a reason players praise Pop and praise the Spurs because they've never had the most athletic team. They've never had the most dominant players, but they keep getting it done. And here Popovich has gone through the basics of it. It's not about the things that you think it's about. It's about relationships. It's about principles. It's about building and cultivating these things. And again, guys, uh, it's not the five championships only. It's not the, the streak of consecutive playoffs or consecutive 50-win seasons. It's not the streak of them competing for a championship almost every year. Um, it's not about those things only. It's the way they do it, right? And they do it with ethics. They do it with principle. They do it with... Uh, you know, just they do it in a way where people respect. If you felt that, you know, if a loved one or if you yourself were part of the Spurs organization, you would have this feeling that they would always take care of you as long as you did your job. You wouldn't expect to be cheated. You wouldn't expect to be manipulated. Uh, and many people don't complain about those things with the Spurs. So let me know what you think. I honestly, this is why I believe, uh, and again, I know you guys will probably disagree with this, but Popovich is not only the best coach to ever do it, I think the Spurs are the best team ever. And I think that that last statement will probably, you guys probably won't agree with, but that's fine. Leave your comments. Tell me who you think the best team is or why the Spurs are not the best team. And you got to remember my definition. It's not only about statistics. It's not only about points per game or leading rebounder or leading scorer. It's about results. And the question is, what is what are your benchmarks for measuring results? For me, it's not just the playoffs or the championships or the MVPs. It's satisfaction do people like to play here do people want to continue their career there do people uh, speak about you well once they leave 
There are many, many metrics that we can use. And when you when you cast or when you form a team, you have to look at cohesion. You have to look at if they're gonna blend, if they're gonna mesh. Are they? How's the chemistry? That's really a word I'm looking for. Is there is there gonna be chemistry, right? And I think the Spurs are great at creating a culture and creating good chemistry. Thank you guys for listening. This is Imran Nanlawala from the Walla Way. Leave your comments and stay tuned, my friends.